0: consumer products making delta city a clean efficient and harmonious municipality since 2028 that's opc man i can't talk today already that's uh this is a bad sign uh but i am Ryland grant screenwriter Ringo overrun creator of fine comics like aberrant and jacks and now suicide jockeys the other voice in the dark the man on the box to the left is
1: david avaloni comic book writer uh film guy coffee achiever
0: Excellent. Uh, If you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic women areas like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile earcracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, Great show today, but let's get some plugs in. Go ahead, Abloni.
1: Yes, what have I got out? Um, October 20th. Elvira Meets Vincent Price, Issue 3 of 5 Drops, Good, Clean, Wholesome, American Fun, perfect for your Halloween season enjoyment, and uh, available right now is the spooky, spoken word, horror music album, Tales of the Frightened, produced by me, short stories written by my father in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, read The narration read by the amazing Vernon Wells of the Road Warrior and Space and Power Rangers and a million other things. And amazing music by Evan Schletter, uh, who you may know from doing music for Mr. Show and for SpongeBob and other fine projects like that. But you can get that at Tales of the Frightened, one word. Crash. Wow. That's all right. <laughs> Tales of the Frightened, <laughs> very hollow, very spooky off-screen violence as my wife puts our bar back together. Uh, Tales of the Frightened dot com, available for the spooky price of six dollars and sixty six cents.
0: I uh, that's a great price. I'm going to wager that Vernon can pronounce the word municipality uh, while recording these things. So <laughs> maybe we should get him on to do our intros. <laughs> yeah, uh, I he don't know if a, we can afford him. He does have an amazing, amazing voice. Yeah, all right, we'll get that. Uh, My latest and greatest, uh, the tokosatsu joint suicide jockeys is in comic shops now via SourcePoint Press. One and two are already there. Um, I believe number three hits uh, shops a week from today as this airs. Um, Tokosatsu for the uninitiated is the Japanese sci-fi action genre that includes things like Power Rangers and Super Sentai and Voltron, but also includes kaiju fare like um, Godzilla and the like. Um, in a nutshell, Suicide Jockeys is Fast and the Furious meets Voltron um, with kind of an extra dollop of heart and soul and a little Zen philosophy thrown in. Um, it is a Howlin' Mad Good Time. Go check it out. Um, but we have talked and I have uh, uh, stuttered and rambled long enough. Um, let's bring <laughs> our, our esteemed guests on, huh? Indeed. Christy Shin and welcome Don Noyan. Hi, audience.
1: How are you? Lovely to have you back. Oh, of course. Thanks
2: for having us on.
1: Thank you. So why don't we start off, Don, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: I am Don Nguyen, known as at winning it on most social media. There it goes. Last name, most common Vietnamese last name, Nguyen. You can find me on projects such as Nightmare Theater, which is currently out. I'll be up on a, a horror holiday anthology called Holiday Spirits find that at holidayspirits.net forward slash join. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. That's being done with uh, Jérôme Gagnon and Travis Gibb, who does Broke Down and Four Dead Bodies. Uh, I'm also a uh, sketch card artist for Upper Deck and Marvel. I did the inaugural set of Marvel anime, and I created Pablo the Gorilla, and you can find me at Baltimore Comic Con uh, next week, I believe. It is October 22nd through the 24th, so if you're in the Baltimore, Maryland area, please go get tickets come find me. And there are a ton of other amazing creators,
0: uh, that will be there as well. Very nice. Uh, it's a great con. uh, uh it, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, People don't say that enough. I mean, there are uh, there are very, very few actual comic cons left uh, yeah. uh, in the world, in this country, and that is absolutely a comic con. It's not the next Marvel trailer release con. It's not the pop culture con. Not not the camping outside of Hall H uh, <laughs> uh, for, for today's con. It is a comic book convention and uh, the creators love it. And um, yeah, so if you haven't been, go, please. I'm I love it. I'm very excited for it.
1: Yeah. Nice. And Christy, your turn. Tell us a little bit about. Tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself. Uh,
3: it's gonna. I'm gonna teach them a lot of things, including bad words. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, primarily, Demon Bitch. We've got that. I'm the creator of Demon Bitch. Uh, she's a low level demon for the Thirteenth Pit of Hell, where people throw their dog shit and gum wrappers. And uh, she wants to bring the Second Coming of Hell on Earth, but the first one never happened because she's an idiot. Represents everybody that I've ever hated. So there you go. Um, mm-hmm. People somehow find that wonderful. And also like Don, because I brought this out, I was like, Oh props to Don. I'm also in this too. I write about my tumor. Nightmare Theater. It's awesome. It's Cordy, great. Yeah. Oh, thank well, you.
0: David and Riley, you're in it too, right? Huh? Uh, I was um I was supposed to be in it, uh, but I was a little too busy and a little too interesting and um I uh I got pulled off of it. So uh Aww. so yeah. I didn't make it. But, but yeah, uh, I,
1: I do know. have an eight page uh, piece in there which yeah. I'm very fond of.
3: Here, shameless plug for everybody. Nightmare Theater right here.
1: Nightmare Theater, also the excellent run. Halloween reading. Also, yes. on the Robocop reference. Oh yeah, yes. thank
2: you.
0: Yes. That was a pretty good one. I, I was proud of it. I, I, I was surprised, this is episode 50, uh, which yes. we maybe should have celebrated at the uh, the top of this thing. 50 episodes is 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 pretty insane. Um, uh, but I was really shocked that in 50 episodes I had not yet made a RoboCop reference. So, uh, right, had us no. be sponsored
1: by, by, uh, Omnicorp, yep.
2: <laughs>
1: by the, o- by the OCP. Not great, Bob. Not great. <laughs> I saw okay, that yeah, movie. Dollar. I saw a sneak preview of that movie and had to leave early. Unbelievable, as it may seem to go to ACE to see Susan Vega at Carnegie Hall.
3: Well, goddamn!
1: And I loved it. Was her second album? It was great. It was a great concert. But the sneak preview I saw of that movie was when it was twenty percent more violent before it got shaved (laughs) down. Wow! Try to to imagine enjoying (laughs) gentle pop melodies of Suzanne Vega while having flashbacks to Peter Weller having his body parts blown off by a shotgun. Kind of well, like yeah, was- I'm like, hearing this beautiful, sensitive music and thinking about Peter Weller screaming in vain as his hand evaporates in a splatter of blood. Well, so here's, it-
3: the- well here's, here's the thing. Like, you know, you know, fathers and their daughters, you know, they go out and they do. My dad, he just took home 90s fucking movies like Robocop, Predator and Total Recall. We just watched the shit out of those. I'm like, oh, this is great.
0: Yeah, that's was, that, sure. was, that was how I that's ended up here. That's I mean,
3: quality parenting yeah. right there. Yeah, that was
0: yeah. how I ended up here. But but um, it was such an interesting time for movies because, you know, one, there's no NC-17 rating, right? Yeah. Um, but back then, you could you could end up with an X rating just for violence. Like, that's, it's not really possible now. Though I don't know anyone would, like, make a film that was so violent that it would necessitate an <laughs> NC-17 or a, an yeah. X rating at this point. Like, people are maybe a little bit smarter than that. But um, uh, they uh, the, the rewashables, which is uh, another great visual arts podcast. Uh, maybe the you know I don't know maybe in the top five of visual arts podcasts while we're down here in the, the top sixty. Um, and <laughs> I, I, you I would, Apple,
3: you could actually gotten an X rating for language too. Andrew Dice Clay got that too.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's not surprising. But that, that, that you know that, that's more about that's language and sexual content and all of that stuff. But Cobra. Um. Uh. You know, there was a there was a cut that was twenty or thirty minutes longer, and they submitted it, and they ended up with an X rating right after that. And so they had to I hack and slash, um, in, in order to, um. Uh. You know, so it was part that, but part they realized they were going to be up against Top Gun in the box office, and so they just trimmed it way back. They trimmed it down to like eighty nine minutes because they wanted to, they wanted it showing in theaters as much as possible. So they so they they knew they were going to get killed by Top Gun, but right. they didn't want to get killed so badly. So a a eighty nine minute movie uh, uh, runs a lot more times in the theaters than a a you know a, a two hour and six minute movie, and so they trim that motherfucker way back, and they got rid of that X rating. Nice, but anyway. Interesting yeah. time for and it's Robocop was a bad. similar thing where where they were, yeah. they were flirting with that that death glow oh. rating.
3: Yep. Well, And also, here's the thing, too. It makes me think of video games. I know we went on this whole long tangent. Okay. I remember when people bitch. It's like Mortal Kombat when it just came out in the 90s. It's like, oh, it's fucking violent and shit. It's like, what? It's got three rib cages and five skulls when you obliterate somebody. How is this real, right? It was obviously meant to be, look really bad. I mean, yeah, I had the technology at the time. Now, when you look at the new Mortal Kombat, they're smashing people's balls and <laughs> x ray, They're slicing people in half. It's super graphic. It's like, well, you guys have something to bitch about now.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's always the
2: people who have never played the game complaining about it and then you, that's where you hear the soapboxing from cuz if you Wait. play the game you're like I know that's going to be a fatality.
3: Yeah, it's like ridiculous like and then now it's like it's hardcore like super fucking violent with like Pinhead and like now Freddy Krueger and Jason and, all, and I think you didn't even have Leatherface in there so it's like really fucking yeah. funny. I, I, I tried
1: like... to watch Cobra once and it literally It played to me twenty years ago, thirty years ago, like someone made a failed parody of Sylvester Stallone movies. tell Sylvester Stallone. It was supposed to be funny. Yeah,
0: it is his funny. It is his funniest movie by far, and it it, it is a sublime watch right now. For that very reason, is that it is it is humorous, and it's like it is this weird thing where it's like it is an action movie, obviously, but it's also like a horror movie. Basically, they tried to take like they tried to take the slasher genre. And the 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 cop genre and smash them together, and so it's about Stallone trying to take out take out this cult of serial killers in, in Los Angeles, and so you know it's not it's not just a serial killer; it is an entire right. cult of serial I killers. Didn't I, don't mean, know how you, it I Because know
3: was that shit then?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I think I think he was called the Night Slasher uh, in Cobra, yeah. which is no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, but but it's like. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't know how you end up with an entire cult of serial killers. Like, how, how does the recruitment happen? You know what I'm saying?
1: Like, yeah. like, oh, so this, no. <laughs> before, this is before even AOL chat room. So how yeah, did hey,
0: they... hey, uh, Yeah, you're Let's a serial see. killer, too. Yeah. We got this club. Do you want to... You... Yeah. I mean, th- yeah, th- that's three really guys but... buying,
1: it, it starts yeah. with five guys buying in, in line at Home Depot, buying duct tape and buckets, you know. Oh, <laughs> and one road plastic wrap going, hey are you... I bet that's... But, yeah. Which, by the way, I, I just have to tell this, this Halloween story as an aside. There was a cliche growing up about, like, violent uh, violent sabotage, for want of a better reason, of your Halloween experience that was going to kill children. And my brother-in-law, about 20 years ago, you know, had to run out and get, I think, apples at Rite Aid or something the night of Halloween, and he's standing online with his apples and he realizes, oh, I'm also out of razor blades. Oh, and, he, no. and he buys a thing of cheap disposable razor blades and throws that next to the apples on the on the conveyor belt. And just as it gets to the cashier, he's like, Oh, holy shit, does that not look good? And he's nobody like passed without any notice. But I love that idea. Just go out on Halloween night and buy, you know. Fun size Snickers and rat poison, and just sit online. <laughs> See, it's like just buying a few things for around the house. Yeah. You know, nothing, to, really nothing to worry about. Nothing to get. Nothing a to get theme it, They don't even
3: give you a weird look. Yeah, know.
1: not even a it's weird look. some condoms boy. in there just for last. No, throw some tampons
3: in there. That'll work. Yeah, exactly. no,
1: Strangely, and they're like nerves the, the <laughs> simple face teen at the cash register. Ah, oh, sir. Um, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is a comics podcast. No, uh, a
2: podcast
1: either way. we're, we're going to talk about uh comics now. I think when we were kicking around the idea for the show, we were talking about um, you know, Rylan and I are quote unquote just writers, we do not draw. Uh, I draw stick figures that are. Like, I, I do, the first two comics I, I wrote, I did stick figure layouts just to make sure that what I was suggesting was going to work, that someone could actually fit it on a page. But after that, I stopped doing it because it was embarrassing me. Um, I didn't show anybody these, by the way. Oh. But just like knowing, I just did it for myself to know what they were. Um, and there are people, uh, if you read between the lines, I would say, of Will Eisner's books on how to make comic books he's very like comic book writers aren't real comic book people
0: oh
3: that and sucks I, you're,
1: you're, you're fakers you know you can't draw you're fakers and i've heard that attitude too that if you're not a cartoonist you're you ain't shit in this business but uh you know we both of you are writers and artists as within the industry the expression is cartoonist and we just we're going to talk about you know what's what is that like and how did. Did you draw when you were a kid? Let's start with Don. What 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 makes you draw your own stuff, and what's the experience like for you?
2: Uh, I you know I I feel like I've always drawn. My family says I started drawing around two, and I fell in love with comics probably around six or so, five or six. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd go to the library, sitting down. So that that's when my love of uh, our medium uh, started with sequentials, and there's just something about it that has been inescapable for me throughout my entire life. And that's why, you know, about 10 years ago, I left my job at the Rand Corporation, which was so cushy, now looking back on it with benefits. Um, and I decided this is this is what I wanted to be doing. And, um, you know, there, there's no central impetus for me, I don't think. Uh, it just, it, it, I don't know if it's like some sort of lizard brain thing. I feel like as humans, uh, we've always wanted to tell stories through art. Um, language was developed that so i just want to say artists deserve all the credit for language because we uh we <laughs> started putting stuff on cave walls and then everybody wanted to be like what is this about uh and i maybe that's that's that internal flame uh in me that uh that drives what i do um in terms of learning how to do it it was just by watching other people we all grew up reading comics and flipping through pages and admiring what uh people who are much better than myself have done and you know have set up for us and every day i, I still look at comics even the ones that are coming out And i try to uh, absorb what uh you know these newer artists are doing or even some of the old uh classic artists uh that you might think of that are still around even uh some of the 90s guys uh, what they're doing and uh yeah you know, i try to emulate some of that i i, I pick and choose
1: Uh, what I like, and then I add it to my own repertoire. And Christy, what's the origin for you with this stuff? Have you always been an artist? Have you always drawn your own stuff?
3: Well, yeah, I remember my dad. It's kind of funny. I come from a math family, so you think that's good, but if you're not good at math, they go, what's wrong with you? uh i wasn't very good at math um i kind of have an idea of statistics and stuff so i have an awareness of it but uh not quite like to the level my sister my mom and my dad do so i guess i'm kind of like the black sheep although it's weird because they were proud of me for being able to draw but then simultaneously they were giving me shit the whole time for drawing comics and reading them and my dad was like oh why are you reading that stop looking at manga you have to like go in manhwa you that's the korean word for you know, comic books. You gotta go and, like, go study and do all this. I'm like, okay, Dad. And then when they discovered, like, oh, you're an artist and you're good, they wanted me to do it their way, which was pretty funny. And uh, I was like, no, Can I draw of, comics about
1: math. <laughs>
3: you know, maybe at some point I will. I'm not really sure. Right now, I draw about feelings, I guess, and um, that's definitely one of those things. But then I kind of draw a bunch of rage. I think Ryland, I, I'm quoting Ryland, sort of paraphrasing, where he said that my comics, especially Demon Bitches, like a Coen Brothers movie, doesn't make sense separately. It's kind of weird, but when you put it all together, it makes sense, so it's sort of one of those things. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just primarily drew... I would write, but I didn't think it was great. It was just, like, kind of scratching on stuff, but I mean, how I came out with... like The difference between, like, Demon Bitches, like, sometimes they're one-shots or they're a quick set of panels. It's not a whole comic book. It's just a compilation of, like, comic strips of a character. Um, but when I did Sepulcher, what I did with the first volume was, was that I did this whole long fucking storyboard. That's how I wrote. So, I mean, yeah, I'd kind of, like, write out dialogue, but it would just be storyboards. And then when the second book was going to come around, I was like, oh, fuck, I don't have that train of thought. So, that kind of sucked. So, I mean, but I've been kind of looking up writers, like, I've just been Googling comic writers, and, like, I guess Matt Hawkins had this really good thing about writing out like a bunch of little things and just basically compiling them and everything. And it was kind of weird because I had to think like a writer, even though I wasn't really quote-unquote one. And it's kind of weird because we're technically all artists, but, you know, when you say artists, you usually think of the person that draws or does visual medium, uh, whereas writers don't as much, even though it's considered an art firm. It's kind of weird how people's brains are compartmentalized. So. um Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of like that's how I got my start, and I just did Life of Hard Knocks for a while, and uh, just maybe that's what I made the comics out of, and apparently, and each artist has their own flavor, um, but I think for mine, because, and I'm the one doing it, so I don't realize it, but it's just this raw emotionality or raw whatever, or as one guy once told me, I have this thing about taking the elephant in the room going, here, you get to read this. Right. That no one else will pick up. So, right. Okay. I
0: think
3: mean, it's interesting.
0: I, mean, I think it's interesting you talking about uh, kind of building out puzzle pieces, right? I mean, that, that's kind of what you're doing, and then sort of figuring out later or figuring out as you go how they fit together. Because I think mm-hmm. that, um, I, mean, I think that my process is similar, even though the art is, you know, I mean, the the physical drawing is taken out of it. Um, <laughs> but when I'm writing yeah. a comic, I'm breaking it down into panels just like an artist would, right? Um, <laughs> and and my background is is film directing, right? I mean, I, I I got my MFA at the American Film Institute in film directing, and so I'm coming at it from that perspective. And so my my scripts tend to be a little thicker, you know. Uh, 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 all of the kind of screen directions are there, you know, uh, 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 low angle, wide shot. This is in the foreground. This is in the background. So I'm doing a lot of that work already. But I'm writing a script right now. I'm writing I'm writing the third issue of the jump. And, um, and I, I see very clearly what happens in the beginning of the story, and I see very clearly what happens at the end of the story. And I started out by writing those two things in a very polished sense. And so, like you're talking about, I have these two very polished puzzle pieces, and now I need to figure out how to connect them, right? <laughs> and again, I have a sense and notions of how they connect and, and whatnot, but those puzzle pieces are not as clear to me, and I need to kind of find those. Um, and I'm finding those through these two established pieces already. It's kind of you know, I'm, 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 you know, I have this and I have this, and I'm sort of trying to simultaneously work my way back to find the thing. That yeah. process is really interesting. I mean, I, I, I like the idea that actually, I don't know, getting down, getting your hands dirty and drawing it uh, helps for me. What helps is like, I, I get online and I, you know, just visual references. Like if I can, if I can see the, if I can see the place, uh, uh, the drama will come alive in my head. If I can, um, uh, w- with this story, there's a lot of kind of um, Native American spiritual stuff that, that's included in it. And so it's like, if I can if I can figure out the mechanics of all of that, if I can figure out the tools that are going to be used and and all of that stuff, then, again, the drama will kind of spring to life from that. Um, and so I can see that, I mean, if you could draw, I can't draw worth a damn, I'm worse than Avalonia's. Um, but if I could, you know, just... It, b- because a lot of times finding the drama for me is like... Um, is, okay, well, I don't know what needs to happen. Um, I have a notion that this character and this character are going to be involved, so let me get them in a room and just get them talking, right? Mm-hmm. And what do they have to say to each other? Um, where are they coming from? Where are they going? And then, you know, you try a couple of things. You try this way, it doesn't work, you try that way, and then suddenly, you know, you kind of burst through the line, you're opposite races, um, just by getting them talking. But if you could also l- literally physically manifest them, that adds a whole new layer to this, and that's uh, it's an interesting sort of process thing. And I think it's like, um, I mean, the other thing I think is interesting about cartoonists is like, um, it's always, it is usually one version of these things. Either okay, well, you know, I was a writer, um, but I couldn't find an artist that I could count on, right? And and I, I dealt with that with film a lot when I was making when I was looking when I was writing and directing my own films. I could not find. My my producing partner, the the person that was going to take care of all the organizational shit, right, um, and let me d- write and direct. And so I had to be that person also. I was I was the two headed monster. I I produced my own films because I was the only one that was going to fucking get shit done on time and stuff like that. And so there are a lot of there a lot of cartoonists like that where it's like okay, well, well well I was you know I was a writer and I couldn't find the artist I could count on. I I I I, I could draw right. Um, and so I sat down and, and did it. That was the um, uh, Stephen Prince when he started Monster Matador. That that was why no. he drew Monster <laughs> Matador. And that's interesting. And then there was the other side of the coin where it's like I'm a very good artist, um, uh, and and you know, and I get work from other people, but I'm not doing the stuff that I want to do. Um, and so even though writing was not it was not my first skill set, um, there are things I want to do, things I want to explore. I can't find that that partner to write with to bring that to me. So I'm going to start exploring that side of it myself. Um, that's always really interesting to me, like that, that people kinda of, they come to the same place from different sort of sides of of, of the uh, mm. you know, the world. I feel like our industry is
2: definitely uh, an amalgam of all the things you're talking about, and you put it in such a beautiful, succinct way, which is where we're all looking to accomplish that one thing in producing comics. And I feel like our medium in particular is you know, it's such a great Uh, breeding ground for analytical minds because you really are problem solving just like you said you 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 saw a beginning and an end and then your job is to try to figure out how to fill that gap in between with uh, something that'll flow and make sense and whether you're writing or doing the art that's that's really kind of what it's about because on the art side it's like well if i'm writing the story how do i carry my story all the way through and then if you're looking at a script it's like how do i do the script justice and make sure it hits the notes and the beats that are required um, and it's it's particularly interesting you know like the last couple of years i've been working with uh, really just sort of green comic book writers you know my my friend um mike corpy who uh did the story with uh, nightmare theater and then you know we also were in cthulhu's hard to spell uh, volume two with wannabe press and and multi and we did the danger arcade uh, anthology with sketchy bugs which is out, also out right now and available through the comic bug. Uh, in Manhattan Beach and Kobe City he he was a screenwriter and he writes these amazing stories that are you know along the lines of tales from the crypt or the twilight zone these really wonderful like creepy uh suspenseful shorts but he he didn't have a sense of like the page turn or uh you know like the a, a breakdown of panels until he started getting into it and then I felt like it was my job also just to help him along and be like, this is kind of what you need to think about and like what, what we need to look at. And because he's doing it all short form in our last few projects, it, it forces him to be like, well, I have to do that in a six page increment and in a four page increment in 10 pages. Like how do I execute that? And for any writers out there, or anybody who wants to make comics, any artists, I think the best way to get into it is just to do it, to do it. And, to be open to failure because in failing, whether you're failing at writing or failing at the art, you you may not do it perfectly your first time out, but you learn so much from that experience that you carry it into the next experience. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, I, I, that is an important part of experience, I feel like is often ignored, because you go to a convention and you see pros, you know, like you see your book Ryland, you know, Ringo nominated, one, one Ringo's David, you've done stuff for uh big pubs and it's like well all, all we see is the polished work and nobody ever talks about like the grit and the grime uh especially as indie people because when you're indie and you get into it you you essentially like you're saying right like you do everything or you're you're forced to take on all these uh roles and your your skill set like you it becomes multifaceted like you're you're able to understand you know like pre-press uh you know you, you know going into it, like what you need to do to get your book uh printable, uh you know how to format things um
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know you know exactly what the sizes are supposed to be what the margins are like where the trim and the bleed is for example uh all the way up to like things have to be cmyk the blacks have to be like a certain spec in order mm-hmm. to be printable black uh so you know you you develop all these and you learn from other people and i think you know we always say that uh indie comics are the breeding ground for for major pubs because so many ideas and I feel like you know we in a way we're kind of looked down upon sometimes by the general public but they don't realize that so much originality is born of indie creators and the great problem solvers to me especially right now are all the indie comics people that's why I feel like image has been such a strong pub the last few years and we see other smaller pubs like uh you know Source Point Press, which you're on right now with Suicide Jockeys or Scout Comics. Uh you know, we all know Charlie Stickney uh out yeah. there, like all the guys that are <laughs> on, on, on those teams, like all, all these stories, like people are starting to pick up and discover indie comics. That's why Kickstarter has been so successful the last, you know, three, four years. It's like I, I think, you know, that's that's we have some of the best minds that are problem solving. We get to see new faces, fresh faces, new people doing this, and uh, it, it's that's the enjoyable part. And But yeah, it's it all comes down to, like, how do you figure out how to get it done? And you're forced in that situation if you want to do it. Because uh, we always say, like, the secret to making comics is just to go and make comics. Uh, and I feel there's no
1: truer adage to it than that.
3: Well, I Either. think also... Oh, no, go ahead, well, I think also, like, People kind of have this thing, like, if I go and have an initial blaze of glory, um, that I'm good at it. And, and, yeah, okay, fine. You know, some people, they do it, they're naturals. But in all honesty, you know, you're going to suck at it at first few times. Like, I've even met seasoned people that go, like, oh, I wrote this, like, X amount of years ago. Kind of ashamed about it now. I said, okay, well, you know, I look at shit that I drew when I was 13, and I go, like, oh, fuck, that was terrible. And then I'm, like, wait, I was 13. You have to put it in context. Yeah. Like... A couple of the things that I've been doing that's kind of out of my comfort zone because of writing, even though I'm not perfecting at, perfected at comic writing, okay, but I'm tackling it all at once for some god weird reason. Maybe I'm a masochist. I'm writing a demon bitch game because I just realized, oh, here's a few tips to how to actually write shit. And then, then I'm doing a story for a game of demon bitch. We're doing a level like a beta test, ready for beta test in the next Kickstarter. We're aiming for March. Because we already got the book pretty much 99% done. I'm just waiting on a couple of things. And then um, we're, I, I mean, and also like what is, and I just did stand-up over the weekend. I just, and it was weird because I was interviewed by somebody else who had podcasted knowing I was a comic book artist and creator. And then he said, oh, join this LA comics, stand-up comics group. So I did, and I thought, okay, yeah, I've been asked to do, com- like, a lot of people in the comics industry. she said, you should do stand-up comedy, you should do stand-up comedy, and I'm like, well, okay, but the, op- it wasn't like I was sitting around for the opportunity, it's just that, yeah, I would sign on to these groups, but I just never, something would always come up when it wouldn't happen. So, finally, this guy, just, the same guy that interviewed me said, oh, yeah, you want to do stand-up, I'm going to book you, and, like, literally, it was a few days before, and I'm like, uh, Sure. And he said, wait, you never did it before? I said, you're in the LA Comics Group. I said, yeah, because you told me to be in there. (laughs) But I said, fuck it, we'll just do it anyway. And apparently the first set I ever did was actually really good. So, I mean, I literally had people coming after me afterwards saying, oh, you're so great. Oh, that was really good. I mean, I'm not trying to say it was perfect because, like, there were some people that gave me critical feedback. I'm like, all right, fine, you know. But it, and the thing is, is like, and I'm also going to put this in line with the Kickstarters. I run three successful Kickstarters. My first one was a failure. But the thing is, is that you're not going to know how the pants work until you fit in them. You know generally how pants work, but until you actually wear the pants, you're not going to know how to do it. And you actually might fit them better than you think. Or they just might need adjustment. You know, it's just, that's what I mean. Just sometimes I think people just need to go fuck it and just do it.
1: Well, there's also something to be said for, you know, Don said you have to learn everything. It is, uh, there is a fair amount of trial and error in the learning of things. I always mention the, you know, hilarious thing with the most successful indie comic of all time, the Ninja Turtles. The first issue was printed by the, they went to the local, the guy who prints the local penny saver. And he printed it the size of the local penny saver because they just assumed that any printer would know what size a comic book should be. And there's this giant black bar on the first cover of the Ninja Turtles because there was empty space left over because the guy didn't know how big a comic book was supposed to be. And that didn't didn't stop it from being successful, but now Kevin knows how big a comic book is supposed to be. (laughs) Of course, the joke is, I think... Because it succeeded like Last Ronin, right now is oversized. It's it's a little bigger than a floppy, yeah. and I think that's Kevin being a little fuck you to the industry of like <laughs> I'm gonna keep making them the size I want to make them, and you're gonna buy them because you like them, and that's so I'm gonna force you all to strain your your bags so that they fit. Uh, you're gonna be stretching your bags and boards so that they fit my comics, which is just yeah, I wanna- I, you know please- I always say that every everyone not that we all need to have a lot of sympathy for the big conglomerates but everyone that complains about page rates or whatever needs to do a a kickstarter and like find out how incredibly narrow the margins are for profit on a comic book when i when i moved my kickstarter to the diamond system
2: yeah
1: and started doing the math on subtract now here's what you get an issue Here's the printing, here's the shipping, here's what Diamond's going to take, and here's what the comic book shop is going to take. I'm like, this is a business anyone succeeds in? Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Of course yeah. you're going to sell. Boy, I get into the Funko business, man, because this is for the birds. Trying to make a dollar <laughs> off a three ninety nine comic book is like a suicide mission. And no, yeah, not- if you sell a half yeah. a million of them, it's great. But 3,000 yeah. of them, you're ooh, you're in trouble. Yeah,
3: like with uh, KDP, like that's another alternative that comics people are doing. Because like for me, I, well, now we have issues overseas and now the supply chain issue. Um, the thing is, is that I never felt completely comfortable doing a middleman outsourcing it outside just because of the logistical issues and the fact that I had to order like how many thousands of dollars worth of comics. And it's like, dude, I don't need that much at one time. I don't have the space. Like You're I right. have a home. But it's like, I also don't want to rent a storage unit. That's like money out of my pocket until I'm paying for all those. So I went by print on demand and I kind of found a sweet spot. So I do make some profit off comics, but yeah, it is expensive. Like, especially if you have somebody else do it. Like if they print it and all this other shit, then you have to troubleshoot and all this other stuff. And then they have to ship it to you. It's like, I looked at for the most, less pain in the ass way to do it. For me, it was KDP because it was like, okay, well they can print on demand, but I don't have to, Buy a storage unit to have all the books, and if somebody overseas, you know, wants to buy the book, well, there's a port for that. And yeah, the profit margin's not great, but at least it's ported in there, ready to go. But then I have my methodology of doing it where I can get it out to the stores. It's not perfect yet, but it's right. just something. Right. No, but we all, I know- all
1: we all work out our own, you know, chains and how things work and our. You know, like, I was scarred by an early experience in the comic book industry where my comics were sitting on a uh, a, ten, a, a, a cargo ship sitting in uh, San Pedro for a month waiting to get unloaded. Oh, yeah. And now I only work with domestic printers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The literal slow boat from China is not something I want my comic books on, so I'm just yeah. not doing it. Uh, we are supposedly coming up against the paper shortage. I don't know how that's going to affect things with domestic comic book sales. But, yeah, we all we all adapt to the, the scarring experiences we have. I think I was still doing some work, some freelance work, not comic book writing work for IDW when yeah. they had a couple of months. And this was the the doc workers strike three, four, no, five, six years ago now. Oh, where okay. They just had all of these dates they missed. Because there were ships sitting in the bay that couldn't unload, because that the dockworkers were on strike. That was, I was like, that okay, was I'm going to try to avoid that. <laughs> you know, that,
3: that was the, that was the same thing then. So it was sitting in port for a month because of the strike. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. That yeah. sucks.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah they just they missed a bunch of dates. They missed a bunch of you know things oh, that were ouch. supposed to drop. Well, yeah. you know there and there were even I rem, I can't remember what it was, but there was something with a there was something time sensitive as to when it could be published and then after that period it was going to be worthless and meaningless oh. and they ended up like shredding a oh, cargo no. containers worth of comic books because they arrived too late to get to the market oh,
3: for this yeah. narrow window oh, that they had
1: to hit so Interesting. so yeah so I, <laughs> I i've moved over to domestic uh people since then but All that said, there was one process question that I've always been curious about with every cartoonist I've ever talked to, which is, do you actually sit down and write a script or do you just start drawing?
2: I do not. I work, I guess I work, uh, I I find that I work in a way similar to how Eric Larson uh, works and anybody who's drawing who doesn't know who Eric Larson is. uh, Eric Larson is the creator of Savage Dragon. He had an amazing run on Amazing Spider-Man. He's a fantastic creator, but it's almost like a working Marvel method. So I plot stuff out. Uh, I do a page breakdown so I know generally what I want to happen on the page. And then I'll draw it out. Uh, this is how I did Pablo. And then I'll go back and I'll dialogue it. So I'll, I'll write the, the, the script or the dialogue to it and then make corrections uh, on the page as I go along. And that's just kind of how I work. Uh, it's been the easiest for me. Uh, it, it, it streams line, uh, what I want to do because I – For me it's about hitting just hitting that certain beats at certain points and getting certain action shots onto the page that i want or a certain certain sequence um because i I don't have the mind of a writer and that's why i love you guys so much uh you know i admire uh the the craft uh and the skill set that you guys have because uh you know in working with a writer you can see how imaginative and creative uh they are when it comes to like plot twists or like how they see the bigger picture like I work with uh, Andy Nordvall. We did uh, you know, our October Science Song book together, and we've done uh, Smuggler's Curve as a comic, and the machinations of his mind. I have no idea how his mind works. He can pump out content like no other person can, I feel like. But you know, like what writers are able to see and predict, and I know, you know some people like to do outlines, and that's probably more along the lines of what I do but other people have the big picture ready to go kind of like how Ryland was described you can see the beginning and the end of an issue in some cases and then you know he, he, he fills uh the pages in between um, and you know I, not everybody's mind works the same either i'm sure chrissy uh doesn't work the same way and i think you know as as a creator, it's just about finding what what works for you sure. and, you know i always say i have not had the chance to meet eric larson but i would love to talk to him about. Uh, how it works for him, and you know how he's developed that and honed that particular skill because I feel like that's what works for me is just plot it out, draw, or you know, thumbnail it out, and then go back and fine pencil it uh, to where I want it, and then add the dialogue because also mm-hmm. in my mind I can hear how my characters sound or what they're doing, and I have that sense. So it's sort of having like a mental uh, character Bible, and I know there are writers out there that put together character Bibles. and you know, they world build before they even get down uh, to the page. So I think it's about, you know, finding that sweet spot for you that helps you put things on the page.
1: Mm-hmm. It's. I will say that I, even though I'm not drawing it, I do work in the same way in the sense of when I plot something out. Yeah. I mean, when you plot out a whole series, you're like, this has to happen in issue one, this has to happen in issue two, you know, in a, the biggest possible sense. And I've said before, Dynamite can be too nice to me sometimes, and they will approve some sketchy-ass, you know, <laughs> yeah. sketchy-ass pitch. And then I get – I'm like, I should have probably pitched this with more than one sentence per issue because I had no clue what I meant to happen in issue three. That really doesn't seem covered by this one line of dialogue. But, uh, but even so, when I'm writing a comic, I usually sit down and yeah. say – you know, here's what happened, you know, white one line per page. Here's what yeah, happens yeah. on page one. Here's what happens on page two. Here's what happens on page three. Yeah. And I'm also keeping my eye on the, the page turn reveals. My cat is very unhappy right now. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the page turn reveals and yeah. then go back and write it. And in the same, by the same token, I'm working towards the deadline of, I got to have stuff that the artist can draw so i actually do i also focus on the visual first yeah in the sense that i know if i get the physical action right the artist can start drawing it and the dialogue can go through 80 drafts while they're drawing like they it's not like i've i've worked out like as long as i know they're not drawing anything i don't want them to draw and it's going to work out that way then i can then i can go back and tweak the dialogue yeah. Up until the very last moment that Taylor Esposito gets the lettering script in his hot little hand and starts doing his magic. Yeah. Um, so there is a little bit of that same, like, thinking about the visual. And the, and look, you know, Rylan and I have both written action movies. There is a time-honored tradition that goes back to Alfred Hitchcock. North by Northwest is a great book by the guy who wrote the screenplay to North by Northwest, uh, Ernest Lehman. And all of those Hitchcock movies are made by Hitchcock sitting down with a screenwriter and saying, I see a murder at the United Nations. Uh, I see a man in a cornfield being chased by a plane. And I see a chase on Mount Rushmore. That's what I've got. Go away and come up with something in which all of those things happen. And I will make that movie. And that's, you know, and I've, even on some low-budget crap that I've worked on, I sat down with the director, and he said, so uh, I got this great location in Arizona where I can have a, a gyrocopter chase a dune buggy and, and explosions. And then I got this yacht on a lake, and then we're going to be in Hawaii for a week shooting because I like going to Hawaii. <laughs>
0: it
1: was listen, a... Listen, uh, listen, you know, Andy Sinaris
0: references.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll know who I'm talking about. But, like, it was exactly the same. It was, like, working with the most low-budget Hitchcock ever. But it's like, here are the resources and here are the cool scenes I want to shoot. And here's this location I like. And Bond movies are written like that. It's like, well, we've got this great casino in Macau that's going to let us shoot there. And even on Bond movies, it's because they say they'll let us shoot there for nothing because they want the hype. And you just go, okay, so Bond has to go to Macau in the first act. Got yeah, it. <laughs> I, I,
0: yeah, I mean, you're you're, you're you're again talking about finding your puzzle pieces, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember. Um, I mean, when I first broke as a writer, um, I had this this I had a meeting with Tony Scott, and you know, my kind of like one of my ultimate heroes, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sitting down with him, and you know, it was about trying to see if we could find something to work together on, and um, and Tony had at that point in his life, he was doing a shit ton of rock climbing. He was also taking a shit ton of mushrooms and he would he would often on a weekend go rock climbing oh my god while having taken a shit ton of mushrooms and so he's like I want to do a movie about rock climbing and a shit ton of mushrooms and so we're just sitting there talking for an hour about mushroom trips and about rock climbing and about these other things and so you talk about you know, that that's literally just a sandbox. It's just like, hey, let's set a story here and then it's, you know, and that's my I mean, the jump came about that same way, where it was like, um, I went Fabio and I Fabio and I had finished up jacks right? And uh and you know, great book, and I wanted to keep him on the hook. I didn't want him going off and drawing for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um and so I had five or six things in the holster I could have I could have handed over to him, you know. Uh but I believe that a lot of times the best thing you can do for your artist and you know the best thing you can do for yourself is to go to your artist and be like what do you want to draw what are you going to be excited about doing right um and usually when you ask an artist that there is hemming and hawing you know like i have done it and they've been like uh, i don't know like a uh, uh, dragons would be cool to draw i guess you know and it's like well what am i supposed to do with that fabio had this thing in the holster you know when i asked him he was like astral projection um, and he didn't come to me with a plot or 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 you know this this intrigue that it ended up being. But for like a decade, uh, Fabio was an you know an avid astral projector, and he had become part of this online community of astral projectors that you know that uh, were there are these student teacher relationships and this this community atmosphere and these people who like they know each other online and then they go and they connect on the astral plane, you know, um, and so. Fabio could come in and be like, "Hey, here's this world. Here are these people," and and he introduced me to the actual world and the actual people. And then, like with the Tony Scott project, it was then my my responsibility to come in and be like, "Okay, well, what's the drama?" You know, and and I I, I do you know paranoid thrillers all the time. So let me set a paranoid thriller in this in this world. It does that. But the ultimate puzzle piece story, and I've told the story on on this podcast before, but but it merits telling again. And it's on par with Avalonis movie because, because you know, Avalonni's talking about a low-budget movie. I was writing like 150, 200 million dollar movie for Justin Lin, right? And um, it's based on this short story that, that that we sold him. And so there's already like a pretty solid like uh, plot, character base, all of that stuff. Um, we are having our first meeting with Justin, uh, me and my my film CV writing partner. And we came in hot. I mean, it was like we, we had all these ideas, themes and character and all these things that like every other Hollywood... You, you, you know, again, you're, you're doing a, a film at Universal. They want all that shit. They want you to write it 10 times before you actually write a fucking sentence, right? And so we come in with all this stuff. And it's usually stuff that's going to like hook a director, right? You know, like these are the puzzle pieces a director usually wants to see is like, okay, well, what are the themes? What am I going to be saying with this? Uh, what are the kind of character things that that, that we're going to be able to hold on to? Um, so we get... I don't know, five minutes into our, our spiel and like, we, you know, we think we are fucking going legend and we see Justin's eyes just glaze over slowly but surely. <laughs> and finally he puts a hand up and he's like, guys, guys, character theme. Can't sort it through any of it right now. He's like, let me tell you a story. He's like, I was trying to figure out Fast Five and for, for weeks we're, we're, we're spinning our tires. Can't figure it out. It's, it's I, I'm not seeing it in my head. He's like, I'm in the shower one day, and then it hits me like a fucking brick. He's like, Vin and Paul dragging a safe through Rio. He's like, whole film made sense to me right then. I got it. Just clicked. (laughs) He's like, I saw the whole movie after that. He's like, so I want you to go, go off, take two weeks, and come back with ten of those. You know, (laughs) ten set pieces, ten Vin and Paul dragging a safe through Rio's. And so we had to do that. We had to we, we put the pause on everything. No, no more character theme talks or anything. And we had to go off. And for two weeks, we had to drum up, you know, ten possible big uh, uh, um, set pieces. And then we put it into maybe a four or five page document. Justin, you know, didn't he's a very busy man? Didn't even read that. His his producing partner had to read it and kind of you know pitch it to him very quickly in a couple of minutes. And in the end, he said, "I like that one, that one, and that one. Go." And so we had to write a movie <laughs> that connected those three uh, uh, set pieces. Um, and of course like thematics and character that all came out later and stuff like that, but that was what Justin needed to see his movie. Those were the puzzle pieces. It was almost kind of like writing by Mad Libs, you know? Okay, well well, yeah. we had this huge we have this huge heist on a yacht in uh, you know near San Francisco Bay. We have this uh, this car chase with self-driving cars and we have this big smart building heist and so now we need to figure out like okay well how do all these things connect uh, and uh and yeah i mean it's amazing how um it's amazing how often that ends up being the, the case with these things right
2: yeah i had a i had a teacher i took a class before i got into comics with um neil yamamoto who teaches a class out of santa monica college he's uh, an inker and comic artist and he does this exercise called six words and it's pissy. you have to write a a six-word story and then from the six-word story you have to create a comic page at least one page if not uh two pages out of it and that's you know it's like what you're saying you you have these uh inspiration moments like a little inspo board of six words and then the idea of the exercise is how do you string that together and create a sequence out of it that makes sense and i feel like oftentimes you know in comics but A part of the joy of comics is we can do the absolute zaniest, most ridiculous things, uh, which are almost like, a, a, it's like a portmanteau, right? It's just like something that you just mash up together, and it sounds ridiculous, like an albino cyborg that delivers pizza, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, and in the world of comics, you know, that's there's so much imagination bubbling just from doing things like that. Uh, and, you know, a, as a writer, like, I, I don't know how it is for you guys, but, uh, you know, that's what I look for. I look for that those points and those moments and those anchors where you can go, I I would like to attach those things. Uh, and then how do I get a gorilla to jump on top of that and, like, swing things uh, and fooling poo? Uh, and, and, you know, also, I think, you know, that, that's part of the joy is we're, we're allowed to explore. Someone asked me recently, can we even do that? And I was like we're in comics you can do anything man. like worlds can explode it, it doesn't make a difference as long as you can imagine it and somebody can draw it you know the world is your oyster you're not you're not constrained by a budget in terms of you know like special effects you're constrained by your imagination and maybe the cost of printing if uh, you're not doing a webcomic
1: yeah well yeah. and also as i always say and you know it does take longer to draw some things than others <laughs> yeah. i uh, i've been feeling very bad for Dave Acosta the last month because he's drawing something that takes place at San Diego Comic Con and that's <laughs> oh a lot God. of crowds and that's even even drawing a crowd of people, now it's a crowd of people who some of them have to be in cosplay. You know, it's it's and every time I get to and then Elvira runs into Hall H, I'm like, oh I'm so sorry. <laughs>
3: You're like, I, I, I hate myself for doing this to you, right? Like, for me, I think for writing, um, I think I had to go with what interests me. Now, I know people, like, are quoting these really high-end comic books, really high-minded comic books, and there's some that I like. Like, I like the series of the the tale of the Metabarons. Like, I actually want to get that book. That's like a... It's like a, the guy recently died, unfortunately. He's an Argentinian artist. But I think Jodorowsky. Now, Jodorowsky, I'm beginning to get into. That fucker is wild. Like, not only is he, like, a crazy-ass director, but he also does tarot cards, and I'm also doing my tarot deck. And seriously, you get to channel into different sources when you do that. Like, people were saying, you gotta do a demon bitch deck, you gotta do a demon bitch deck. I said, I I don't know. And I had to really feel it. But if you don't feel it, you can't do it. The cards will look sterile to you. It'll be fake. So I'm just doing what's kind of a murder-balanced tarot, because I actually like the dark and the gothic from, like, fucking nick cave and the bad seeds and i've like gotten into the like gothic shit and fashion and i know that sounds like a bunch of like spam and noise to everybody but seriously like how you're like i think what it is and people might go like oh you must have a focus problem like add or adhd it's like no it's just if i'm not interested in it i and I notice this like with every successful artist or writer, you get these little obsessions that seem weird. Like I'm obsessed with crows for a while. So I'm going to write all the shit about crows or draw all them. And then you have the best work because that interests you. And for me, I like Johnny Ryan. Now I've, I've had the best fortune to like share Don, that fucking shit. Um, so, no, Johnny Ryan, he's a very underground comic book artist under fan Um, really nice guy, by the way, but very quiet. Like, you know, you'd say, Oh, this one. And then he's like, but he's like paying attention to you, but he's just quiet like you can't tell what's on his face, but he write, draws this like really sick shit like the, the best one that I could say is an introduction to his work is the miracle because that'll bring you in gentle to how demented this fucker is So I like stuff like that, but I like stuff that's off the cuff But I think I like it because it's not a formulaic thing it's kind of like he's drawing this real stream of consciousness and it works there's also Megan Mogg by Simon Hanselman. I like that shit, too. I'm not saying mainstream cannot write a good comic book. It's just that, for me, what inspires me is that it doesn't follow a certain formula. Like, I just got Johnny Ryan's thing, car, car, Cartoon hol- Comic Holocaust, and it's just him, like, fucking up all these, like, strips from Marvel to everything else and just drawing these parodies that are just awful. But it's great, you know. So, I mean, I that's kind of how, like, I help my other comic book artist friends, like David... Moreno, he probably, like, is so emotionally scarred by whatever I show him now. But I, I, gave, him, I gave him a book saying, because um, he was talking about, like, watching his diet and stuff, so I gave him the book, Johnny Ryan's a New Low. I said, here, read that. Just don't read it before lunch. You'll be fine. because <laughs> you know? he'll throw up. But, um, but, no, but then again, even though I like the doo-doo comics, I like actually what's been getting, getting me into writing more is actually reading international law and actually getting into law like, full-on law, like, Supreme Court, like, reading the dockets, actually. And I got introduced to this book recently called uh, Law of Nations, which I should actually purchase, and it actually was written by Vattel. Nobody's really heard about it recently. This is, like, for AP, AP history shit, but it's literally a Frenchman in the 1700s. So, yes, this was around the time when the Constitution and a lot of other institutions were being created, like documents, like governmental documents, governmental structures, because of the Enlightenment. He literally, this guy, compiled at least a hundred to thousands of years worth in a book that's like an outline of what makes a successful state, what makes a successful head of nation, like head of state, et cetera, et cetera. And at the times, it was just kings and stuff like that. They didn't have presidents or anything. But when you read that book or you read sections of it, you realize like, oh, so this is how our government or the United Nations or all these other people operate. And it's just that little thing, like, when they talk about territory, and and I know I'm probably, I'm not trying to get into this whole murky thing about news and stuff, but it's like, okay, we hear on the news, border, wall, whatever, but it's like in that concept of law of nations, like, you're not talking about an actual physical structure. You're talking about territory established, this established. It's very legal. And it's kind of weird because it's like when you read actual legal law, your brain goes in another direction. And even though I'm an artist, not technically a writer, it, it kind of takes my head out of a certain space and redefines a certain thing. Like as I said, territory or wall, and it redefines it just slightly in this context. And I don't know that helps me. So it's like it's weird because I read these like weird doo-doo comic joke things, but then on the other hand, I read meta law, so I'm like.
1: <laughs> well, I always say that any there's no such thing as bad research. Like there there's. anything you read, my father was that way, you know, he wrote over 200 published novels, and he read a lot of nonfiction. and some of it was for research for what he was writing, and some of it was just, he was interested in stuff, and he would read about it. And I've done the same thing, and every once in a while, a story comes up, and I go, oh, I can plug in that whole thing I wasted a month studying for no apparent reason. And it can be the subject of this comic book that now I have to write. You know, it's story, everything you read, there are so many great stories, you know, uh, and we're, one of the great things you can do as an artist, I think, uh, is teach people in, in the most sideways way possible. You know, they're reading about... People who read my Betty Page comics, some very fanciful stuff in there. There's monsters and flying saucers and all sorts of shit. Yeah. There's also some 19, early 1950s history that's incredibly accurate. <laughs> you know, there's some stuff about science that's accurate. There's, you know, uh, it's, there is a fascination, a fascinating thing of, like, there are things that you can convey to an audience in a fictional context that are true that they will not necessarily know are true because you're doing it in a fictional context. Yeah. Uh, I applied some stuff I had learned about American Nazis to my Twilight Zone, The Shadow comic, and literally every review I read of it thought I had made up the American Nazis.
3: No. well,
1: this takes place in some parallel universe where there was a Nazi party in America in the 1930s, I'm like, uh, no, uh, the parallel universe that we all live in—that that parallel universe, the one with the American Nazis in it—and uh, yeah. it's—and I, it really was a question I haven't saw. It was an issue I haven't solved. Is how do you like? If I did that comic again today, I would probably write an author's note at the beginning saying, "Not for nothing, but research Camp Siegfried. I did not make it up. I did not make these people up. Dave Acosta did not design their uniforms." some asshole in 1937 designed their uniforms, like, you know, get the information.
2: We saw that recently with uh, HBO's The Watchmen where they brought uh, up the the, the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre um, that was perpetrated on the black community there. And that was, you know, it's a fictional story, but it brought in real, real world history. It is
1: wild how much a real world effect that Watchmen episode had. Yeah, Like they're literally investigating things in the real world, about the Tulsa massacre, now because yeah. some TV writer put it in, it thought it was a really grabby opening scene in uh, in a in a miniseries, and I think yeah. that's that's sort of the best thing you can do because yeah, half the audience went, "Oh, this is science fiction." There's never been something like this that happened in America, and the other half went on Wikipedia and went, "Holy shit, that yeah. all really happened. It happened yeah. without Doctor Manhattan, but it it happened." <laughs>
3: Well, real-world history, like, when you actually look at it. Um, and you kind of have to look at the subversive, and that's why I like looking at the subversive, because you actually find some really crazy shit. Like, and it's weird, weirdly funny in a way that's, like, kind of fucked up. Like, in a sense, like, so what it was is that one of my, one of the comic book artists, I guess, he was black, and he said, this is the amazing thing that there's white man. And it's literally American Nazi Party, like, Patler." wrote and drew that it was like a superman club like literally i think he took one and whited it out and put all the fucking like racist propaganda in it but it was weird because like reading the history of it and just reading it, it it just we were laughing because this is so cartoonishly terrible number one i mean by today's standards number two like the publication history of it was nuts like when you read the history of it like one of the guys who was an american nazi party the american nazi party like who was instrumental in publishing just that one thankfully one copy of that fucking comic he found out he was jewish and he shot himself and i'm like what? Well, there you go i guess he kept up to his ideals i mean i don't know but it was just it's like better than tabloid like some of this shit like you're just like
1: well that's, what I, that's what I mean it's like the story of a, a committed nazi who finds out he's jewish and commits suicide that's a that, that you can use that somewhere that's that's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing up. That actually
3: uh, happened. I mean, some people, like, get really uncomfortable, oh, like this, and I'm like, look, you gotta read into it in order to paradise it, come on. You really, unless, unless if you don't know what it is, and maybe I'm just, like, one of those sticklers, like, I have to look at knowledge, even if it's in the most disgusting and horrible forms, but it's, like, you have to know what's there, because you have to have a conversation about it, like, I've had conversations with Don about different things, like, When we went on, I don't know, we all go on those, like, different subjects. Like, we were talking about sex work, and I said, look, you know, here's this one aspect of it, but then here's another dark aspect of it, like everything else, and people have to talk about it. I think it makes for a better solution for whatever you need to do and any problem. But some people are like, no, 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 I want to live in my, like, own little, safe little world of happy, like, oh, this is my ideal thing. And it's like, it's, no, it's not like that, guys. It's not that you won't get what you want, but you have to kind of deal with that. You know, otherwise that's going to continue happening.
2: Yeah, you have to consider the ramifications of whatever it is you're looking at. Uh, You know, I mean, we spent the better part of the last 40 some odd years trying to fight drugs. And now we finally are getting the legalization of marijuana. Uh, So, you know, it's like.
3: Well, we're also realized.
2: Consider consideration.
3: Well, we're realizing also drug addiction is not. Oh, it's a junkie in the middle of the fucking alleyway doosing up. It's like no, it's also oxycontin by people who live in perpetual pain. Yeah. You know, it's it's there's that too. Like it's not under this pretty little thing or under this dark shell or this nice little wrapping of what you want it to be. It's like really reality wise, people turn to drugs to fill some hole and fill some purpose. And whether and it depends whether or not you want to judge them on whatever context, that's what it is. So you're going to have to deal with it.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, being in our medium, we are allowed to explore those those issues and those themes. And, you you know, as a creator, as a, a writer, as an artist, you can add more of that nuance to whatever you're creating out there. Uh, and that's, that's why we have, you know, classic pieces, you know, speaking of – what people went through with Nazis. You, you have a book like uh, Mouse, for example, uh, that, that demonstrates that uh, in it, 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 you know, you would think it's in such a cute way, but it's also harrowing, because everything is sort of represented through these avatars of mice. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, it, it brings together that the, the realization of what's going on represented through you know, these anthropomorphic mice. And it's like, well, that that really did happen though uh, and and that's what uh you know the the J- jewish people went through with the nazis um, and you know we we have that special ability to reach out to people and i love it when you're reading something and you learn something new from comics and it makes you think like one of my favorite things in comics uh growing up as a kid was uh, i love the x-men mainly because you know everybody was from somewhere somewhere else it felt like you know they were immigrants they had uh, different backgrounds. They're of different social strata. You had rich, and you had poor. And then you know, uh, one of my favorite characters was Colossus, because he was Russian, and which was interesting, because I I grew up at the time of the Cold War, uh, during Reagan, and everybody hated Russians. But here's this character that I loved, uh, you know, uh, Pyotr Rasputin, uh, and he. You know, I learned some Russian words, like, uh, you know, right. like oh, yeah, done. Done. Yeah, no, no. it's like, and, and, you know, that's one of those things that, that really, I was like, oh, like, comics can mm-hmm. actually teach you stuff. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I can go and look it up. And, you know, my I had amazing teachers growing up in elementary school, uh, and they were always in the mindset, if you really want to know it, you should actually go to an encyclopedia or the library and look it up. And, uh, you know, we, we do have... Uh, too much information in a way i feel like with the internet but still it, it it allows you to go i i wonder what david wrote about the american nazi party was real and then you know you would go research that and you would find footage of the nazi party holding rallies at madison square garden
1: yeah um, for example. well it's funny shortly after uh, about actually about a year after that comic came out Cracked magazine online did one of their like crazy shit from history lists and number one was camp siegfried from my comic book and i was like i wish this had come out a week before my comic (laughs) instead of a year after so that people could literally see the images from because they used some of the photo reference that i had given dave so some of the some of the pictures accompanying the article were like there are panels of that in the comic book so it really kind of but as i always say, like the to me, the worst writing in the world across the board, and you can kind of always tell, is when someone is writing a secondhand opinion or a secondhand experience. They've never had the experience. They don't know anybody that's had the experience. They saw the experience in a movie or a comic book and they're just recycling yeah. secondhand, hand third-hand, you know. It's like, you know, my father took it to, a, 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 I think, an unnecessarily strict place. But he would read private eye novels in the 80s, even the 70s, and go, it's so clear this person has never fired a gun in their life, never thrown a punch, never been punched in the face. And it's like, yeah, maybe that's not necessary. But if you're going to write a book about a guy who carries a gun, maybe go down to the gun range and fire a gun 100 times so that you know what that feels like and you can write about it instead of, well, I've seen 100 movies with guns, so I'm going to write about guns now. It's like, no, have a – have an actual relationship to reality. And it's not to say that writer in, in imagination is everything, but there are things you don't need to imagine. And you can be, it is so obvious when someone is writing about an experience that they not only have never had, but have never researched. They've never forget firing a gun. They've never talked to anyone who has fired a gun. And,
3: they have even looked at it again. They just kind of like see yeah,
1: a picture. And I really think I really think you can tell. And I think you can see a lot of the worst writing. You just go, this is just someone taking elements they've seen in other things. And we all do that. You know, we all, just as a like, you know, take the, the, the first act of Star Wars, mm-hmm. just as a random thing. That relies on Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress on a bunch of old John Ford Westerns, there's a lot of borrowed art in that first hour of Star Wars. But what's not borrowed is that George Lucas grew up in a small, shitty town in Northern California and wanted desperately to get out of it and see the big world and drive fast cars. So the essential yearning of Luke Skywalker, that moment of him looking at the twin suns, is powerful because George Lucas isn't faking that part. That's actually the part, all the rest of it is fun, but the kid's staring at the sunset and going, I want to be away from here. I want to be elsewhere, out in the bigger universe, doing important things. That part is a thousand percent sincere, and I think without it, there's actually no movie, in spite of all the pretty stuff.
3: Also, I think, too, it's like what makes it more real is the fact that, you know, Lucas, you know, because of that, he gets catapulted in this whole other fucking world of, like, glitz glamour, ultra fame, all this other shit, where Luke is like that with the Jedi, you know, it's just like, I got catapulted and all this shit, holy shit, all I just wanted to do was go out and do things, you know, I wanted something bigger, and like, well, I got it, you know, so I think that part of the movie is real, too, when you think about it, like, Lucas, like, nearly died working on Star Wars, just because of the overwork and stress, like, he had constant high blood pressure, and constant, like, nervous breakdowns, like, he was, like, Like a nervous fucking wreck because he had to deal with like the English at one point in one of the movies he had to deal with the English, like labor that's laws. The, first
1: <sighs> movie the, the, the English crew had gave him no respect and treated him yeah. like shit, and that's yeah. also sort of in there. Yeah, but yeah. The point being that like you can you, you can be as much of a a, a magpie, uh, you know, stealing things from other people's art, recycling them, whatever. But if the heart is there and the story you're telling is there. And that part's real. The rest of it all doesn't matter. The rest of it, you know, uh, it's 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 bringing that real thing to it, whatever it is. And you know, sometimes I, sometimes when I'm pitching something, you know, you know, everything that I do for Dynamite does not start as a passion project. It starts as, you know, Joe Rybant calls me up and says, "Betty Page comic, what do you think?" Uh, and I have nothing. At the beginning, and you, I learn about Betty Page, and in, in the cases of both Betty Page and Elvira, I learned things that made me think. Not only I can do this so that I can get paid and pay my rent, but I can. I, I am interested in this person, and I can talk about them.
0: Well, yeah. and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing: it's like, what are you bringing to the table? And and you know, and you said, what are you bringing to the table personally? in, in my experience, you know, after working. 16 years in Hollywood, it's like, you you don't, you don't sell the story as often as you sell the story behind the story. The, the, the jump is a prime example. If I just went and said, if I went into a Hollywood studio and said, paranoid thriller set in the world of astral projection, like they might buy that. Right. Um, but they see stuff like that. And what usually happens, like, you know, uh, uh, you laid it out. Avalone is some dude, Goes on, uh, you know, Google's astral projection, reads a Wikipedia article, <laughs> and then shits out a, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of thriller that, uh, you know, they've seen a hundred times, you know, in a, in a, a theater, right? Um, how I would sell that to a Hollywood studio is I would, I would tell the Fabio story, like I experienced this, I went into this world, I, I, my artist is, my artist is a guy who, who did this. Thomas, the protagonist in my, in my book is actually my artist. Um, and of course he didn't have to deal with this thriller and this conspiracy and everything, but he was a guy who was down in he was down on his luck. Uh, and he found like a place where he belonged. He found friends. He found meaning in this world of astral projectors. And he took me by the hand and he brought me in and I met all the people, everyone you meet in the book, everyone you're going to meet in the movie. I've met before I've interacted with, I've talked to, um, they taught me how everything in this world works and I am now going to apply this to a bigger canvas okay uh, you know it, it, to a, a conspiracy to a, a a thriller but what they're gonna buy is that that actual experience you know again like this is I met these people this is what's important to them uh, uh, these are the thematics of the uh, of the thing and I know because I met these people and like that is going to be interesting because because here's the thing it's like you know, you sell something to you sell something to a Hollywood studio. Like they may buy, they may buy the story you're pitching. The movie that ends up getting made might end up being wildly different. You know, wildly different. Um, I have I have written a lot of movies based on like short stories that I've I, I've written first, right? And every movie, <laughs> almost to the you know like like to the number, has been wildly different than the short story. There are elements, right? There are times where. I remember the first short story we took out, we had like 12 very real suitors. They all read the same story, um, uh, um, but we sat down for all of our meetings and they all had, they all loved very different things about the story. And they all saw a very different movie or a very different TV series, right? And so, you know, when you were doing that, it's what we're used to as writers going in and pitching our story to a studio, to a director or whatever what you had to do in that case is figure out what their story was and pitch that to them. And, um, and you know, I mean, they're, they're they're short stories that we've sold three different times and we had three very different, you know, pieces of art afterwards. Um, what they were interested in was this world we created the texture of the world. I mean, this is, that story was written about kind of, you know, it was, it was a heist thing, but it was really about the human experience of kind of growing up in Detroit. And it felt gritty and it felt real because we had been there because we had lived a lot of it. And so they were buying that. And so they were they wanted a story based on that. And they wanted a heist story ultimately. But all the mechanics, all of that other nonsense, they didn't care that much about, right? Because all that stuff can be replaced and switched out. Um, uh, You know, they're not as interested in uh, the variables as they are the kind of equation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And and the sort of the sort of math that. You know, that, that the whole story is based on if I can make my metaphor medified. Um But I think that's really interesting.
3: Yeah. I kind of understand that in a way. Um, like when Gray was growing up, I kind of had this alternative thing like where it's like, oh, you're our daughter. You're really bright and smart and all these other things. But on the same time, you're like, you're not good enough. And it wasn't because I was a girl, but it was like, it was this misguided attempt to kind of push me to be better than myself. And sometimes that's not good. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that for me, I think the reason why I'm able to do what I'm able to do. And again, I'm not trying to knock anybody else's different path, but it's like, I was given disapproval all my life. So at some point I just went, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do and found out people like me better doing what I was doing. Like, even though sometimes people go like, gee, um, I don't know if I can hire you because your stuff is just so different. But in a way it's like, some people would kind of be like, well, okay, that makes me to be more more mainstream. And I'm just like, you know, I kind of don't want to do that. And it's like not a fuck you to anybody else. I'm not saying mainstream is bad. It's just what I've had to learn. And I guess I'm just saying it because I know there's always somebody out there going like, well, they say my work's not mainstream. My work is niche and all that. Well, make that niche and take it your own. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. Like sometimes it is hard. If there isn't a con, you know, you're wondering, oh, hey, spam, uh, that, you know, you, can't make your way, you can't do this, you can't do that. And Yeah, there's a lot of can'ts, but sometimes you have to say like, look, I just need to do what I need to do. This is what I have to do. I, I think it was like one of my friends told me it was a movie It was Nick with Nick Nolte, and he played like a, um, a photographer. And he was like with some young chick. She was his intern, but he was also banging her too. But she was like going, well, I need to do art. What if they don't like it? And he says, no, you do art because you must. And like the thing is, is that I have to do the things I do. It's because when I've tried to do the other things to, I don't want to say please people, but to try to make myself more marketable, it really didn't work. People didn't notice me. Unfortunately, that's what people have to do is notice you enough to do that. And like what I've been hearing about a lot of the publishers at least run a few successful Kickstarters, at least do this, at least do this on your own. And like, well, you know, I can do that. And you know, it's not always been easy, but I'm getting more to the point where I'm seeing the fruits of my labor Like people are like, holy shit, you do this like I'm recognized as this and it's a good thing I mean, but yeah, it's a hard road. It's not an easy road I understand why people do a little bit of both to all mainstream and all that and I get it it's just for me that Path was not for me on that level and so it's like that's why it's like now even though like people like my work, sometimes it's like, well, you don't fit into the genre that I, do. I don't get insulted. It's like, okay, I get it. I'm very different. And sometimes, yeah, it is frustrating when you're like, well, I got to pay the bills, fuck, you know, but that yeah. encourages me to find other ways to do what I need to do for either demon bitch or whatever I want to do. And at least the plus side is, is that, I mean, I've worked well with writers and, you know, We've gone back and forth, but ultimately it's like it makes me happy to do this so that if I do get hired for what I do, it's for who I am and what I do, not what I can do in this style or do in that style. It's more of like what I can do. And I think that's with a lot of artists. I can say with artists, I can't speak for writers, but I'm guessing it's around the same thing. It's like at least that's what we're asking for. Like Jorge Bataille, you know, he's very different than any of the other writers. He did Story of the Eye. That's a really fucked up book, by the way. But, but you know, like a lot of things, like Ananias Nin, she did things her own way. Henry Miller, like, he was, like, totally shat on for the first part of it. Like, I think it was, like, Tropic of Capricorn, like, oh, he actually got obscenity charges. Not obscenity charges, but they would not publish his book because they considered it obscene. Yeah. Now it's, like, a classic. So, and he was luckily luckily able to see that before he died. You know, he did get success, but it's like you have to eat shit sometimes because the rewards are better if you know how to do it and if you persist on just getting better on your own terms. And I think people, yeah, yeah. and I think people don't get that sometimes. They think I got to be better by just saying fuck you to everybody or I got to be better by just forgetting who uh, what I really want to do and doing this other thing. It's like you don't have to do that.
1: Well, and and some people just want to grow up to be John Byrne, too. You know, some, some people don't really want to be original. They just want to do what Chris Claremont did and they think that that's enough. And again, and if, and if Marvel is hiring and you can do a good Chris Claremont pastiche, you might get yourself a job, but uh, you know, that we all, we all deal with the idea of here's what I do. Here's what I love to do, you know, in your professional work, it's, can you find a way to love it? I won't tell the long version of the story, but my dad got a job writing a a novelization of a Friday the 13th movie. And it was a shitty, I read the script, it was the shittiest thing I've ever looked at in my life. And I was like, I don't know how you're going to do this. And long story short, you know, he went into his study with the script and came up you know there was an hour of silence and then i heard typing and then about three hours later he comes up with pages in his hand for me to read going i'm doing something really great with jason here you know like and i was like how are you already like so into this like <laughs> three hours ago it was this painful mortgage paying experience that we were all just gonna have to get through but you read the script and you found a way to say something with it and to do something that you think is interesting. Is the book any good? I don't know, I've never bothered to read it. But we all, I think as you know, when you're trying to make a living as an artist, and I mean artist in the, with a little a, as meaning writers, meaning colorists, meaning everybody, everybody in film, everybody in commercial arts, there's that degree of how do I find me in this assignment? How, well, do how, I, do how do I write the thing that they've asked me to write and have it mean something to me, even though it's a fucking dandruff commercial, you know, that's yeah. the most extreme version of it. Yeah. You know, and if you're lucky, the luckiest of us get hired. Cause we are that thing because they're like, no, we want what you in particular bring to this. Mm-hmm. I honestly think they brought me Betty page because my dad wrote, film you know wrote uh, detective novels in the 50s and they wanted that vibe they brought me elvira because i'm married to a showgirl and they're like you get showgirls right you're, you're you're married you're married to a burlesque artist that's that's elvira right you can handle that mm-hmm. so there's there's the degree of which it's excavation of yourself going what about this can i respond to what about this is life as i understand it
0: well, and I, I, yeah I was going to say, like, I, I, I've, I've talked about this. Like, your your work has has been an inspiration to me for this very reason because because when I came into comics and you know I, I have this pesky day job right where I write movies and, and TV shows and so my comic time is limited. But when I came in, I was like, well, I, I don't know how much I want to do write for higher work or anything like that. You know, like what 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 would I what would I possibly do with with Betty Page? I don't know. And I read your Betty Page, and you know, it is it is at once. 100% you, and 100% her, the brands. Uh, but it's also clear that like you're having like. An insane amount of fun while you're doing it um and, and and that's infectious and because of that the read is is 100 fun like i never thought in a million years i would i would love reading a betty page comic you know no no like i'm not trying to disparage it it's just not you know i mean i i read Karate kid and, and i and i like action jackson you know betty page is not the first thing you would think of me but i'm reading it and i'm fucking howling i love it and i'm like this is uh yeah i could do this i would just i just need to find I need to find what makes wow. it mine and, and and why it's fun. And once you understand that, and here's the thing is like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like the studio asshole because, because I, I have written and rewritten some, 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 some garbage in Hollywood. I mean, you know, the, 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 those are my claim to fame. where it's like, I, I have, um I have, yes, I have made some good movies a little bit better, but I've also made some really terrible movies slightly more tolerable. Um, so I'm not a, you know, I, I, I'm not a snob about this stuff. Um, but you learn that you, you gotta you gotta find out you, you gotta find out what makes it click in your head, right? Otherwise, it's kind of not worth doing, right? But 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 I think that if you can't find that, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't usually mean that there's something wrong with the property or the situation. It usually means that you're not doing it right. And so, as a writer, that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing you need to learn: is okay. Well, 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 how do I find out? How, how do I fall in love with this thing? Because there's always a way, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And
2: I think, yeah, yeah, like I'm find,
1: I find your I'm doing a cool thing with Jason here on page five. That's yeah. a, me, I always remember that is the challenge. When whenever anything and I've had pitches that went nowhere because, you know, the the license holder or the editor went, that's you've gone too far. <laughs> like that's that is yeah. that is not what we want to do with this property. And but you know, most of the time I go, eh, I'll swing big and if they You know, I was very, when I, when we did the Omega, ma'am, which is literally a pandemic comedy that we did in 2020, Yeah, I was like, yeah, this is, no, one's going to say yes to this thing. This is too dark and weird and sad and creepy. And, um, Cassandra liked it and dynamite liked it. So I was like, okay, I guess we're, I, I guess my bluff has been called and now I have to write a 40 page comedy about, uh, fucking COVID. Um, but Again, the word, the best case scenario is they call your bluff on the crazy thing that you didn't think they would ever buy. I have a letter to my dad from Robert Block. Robert Block wrote Psycho. He wrote three episodes of Star Trek. Apparently, he didn't like his experience writing the first episode that he wrote. Uh, I'm assuming Gene Kuhn rewrote the shit out of it. Because that happened to everybody. Because Gene Kuhn was a great writer and he knew how to make everything into Star Trek. He knew how to make your weird first draft to seem like it was Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I have a letter from Robert Bloch to my dad saying, I have written them a Halloween episode that they are guaranteed not to film. It is the weirdest, <laughs> craziest, creepiest thing I've ever written. And that is the Star Trek episode, Cat's Paw, which they called Robert's Bluff. They, they shot the Halloween episode with the witches and the little monsters this big who are t- pretending to be a sexy lady and a big bald warlock guy. Uh, and I think it's funny that Bob, like, intentionally wrote that as an insult to Gene Kuhn and Gene Roddenberry. Is like, here's a piece of crap you will never film. And they went, hey, this is great, Bob. Can't wait to put this on the stage and get it on its feet. And he went, uh, okay. I guess I will submit the Jack the Ripper in outer space one that I was holding on to. Um, and I just, I always think that's a great story in terms of, like, you get a professional gig you really don't want. You turn in something that you think is insane and the publisher producer goes oh man this is awesome (laughs) okay i don't know anything i guess because i wrote this i wrote this to be rejected and you enthusiastically went out and filmed it
3: i've done that like sometimes with some comic book people like i just they say oh show me your best comics like here's demon bitch (laughs) And and like they talk to me later i'm like okay you know But it's, like, weird. It's I don't know what it is, what's different about Demon Bitch, other than, like, maybe I just don't hold back or something. I don't know. It's, like, maybe it's a completely different flavor of comics, like, written and drawn by a woman. I have no idea. I kind of have my hypotheses, but I don't know, but... Sometimes I just, like, I'll draw this as, like, fuck it. Maybe I'll piss people off or something. But I don't do it, like, just to be mean-spirited. It's just, like, let me just fucking troll some shit. And just say, like, if people get mad. And then people like, oh, my God, this is the funniest shit ever, you know? Like, um, I did this one where fucking demon bitch shows up at the Met dressed as a used tampon. Because I was, like, so annoyed with it. Because, like, basically it was, like, I was annoyed by AOC's dress. And everybody's like, oh, it's this and that. Like, No okay, it was just to me about as challenging as a college student wearing a Che Guevara shirt. I was like, really? I I was looking at Little Nas where he had the three fucking costume changes. I was looking at all the other people. Like, even Kim Kardashian had a cool-ass fucking outfit. Like, that to me is the Met. You know, like, you have these full-on sculptures. I show up saying, tax the rich, ain't that great? And like, that is like so trite right there. That's to me, I hate triteness. There is classical, and there's trite. And to me, that was trite. It's like, it's like a college look at how fucking edgy I am. I'm wearing a fucking Che Guevara shirt that I bought for $35. I'm like, really? You know? So it's like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't care if somebody buys one. I'm not going to go and just by default yell at them. I'm just going like, if you bought that to be edgy, you failed. <laughs> that's all I got to say. You failed. It's overdone. So it's. Yeah, the, uh, they
0: they got a very good deal on it after they bought their Starry Night poster at the student union. So yeah,
3: that, that's true. That, you know. Starry Night, yeah. That's either Starry Night, Sunflowers, or the self portrait where he's got his ear cut off. Those are the edgy ones right there. Oh, and uh persistence of memory with Dolly, you have to get that. You can't get like the crucifixion where it's actually a pretty yeah. epic painting where it's like top down with the cubic and everything.
0: I feel, yeah, like I, I, some, I feel like you need some Escher on the wall also, but... but. Oh, oh, yeah, all the high
3: school nerds got Escher in my school, yeah, yeah. 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 and it's just Oh, yeah, and uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, no hate on that book. That's a good book, but it was like, okay, guys, can we read something else of his? Like, let's read Long Dark tea I, I,
1: I always think about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and in the pre-mass-market nerd world... The things you had to be familiar with were *Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy*, *Dune*, and uh, *Lord of the Rings*. Like, there was that hadn't been made into movies. Hadn't been, like, but you had to be like, that was the language everybody spoke. That was you know there was some Heinlein in there also, but like the, those were the books you had to be familiar with. That's what you had to know. Those were the things people were making jokes about at cons in the late seventies, early eighties. But on that grandpa-like note, we should wrap up for the day, but we always like to wrap up with where can people find you and what do you got coming next? Don, why don't you uh, hit us first?
2: All right. Uh, please come find me at Baltimore Comic Con. That will be October 22nd through the 24th, uh, coming up soon. Uh, also, my projects coming up will be Holiday Spirits. Uh, once again, it's a horror holiday anthology. Check it out at holidayspirits.net. Forward slash join. Uh, it will be launching soon. I got a project in the work called Retro, which is being done with my friend uh, Aaron Lindenfaller. Uh, we've fully ate the comic. I'm in the coloring and lettering stage right now for Pitch, and the live action part is being done with actor Rena Wilson of Good Girls and Mike and Molly. Uh, so, yeah, we should have some fun stuff coming up for me, but please do come find me. And then Christy and I are actually going to be at LA Comic Con together. We have a panel uh, called mobile workspace where we'll be talking about how to uh use your phone or your tablet in your uh professional workflow if you're a comic book creator or an artist uh so please come find us at uh la comic-con that's december third through the fifth and i'll also be at comic-con ontario revolution which is towards the end of the month i believe that's the 18th and the 19th of december so december will also be a busy month and then uh also come find us at comic-con special edition I'm going to be on the Working in Indie Comics panel with David Luccarelli, uh who does Tinseltown, which is an amazing comic. Uh, if you
1: haven't had a chance, please go check that out as well. Nice. And Christy?
3: Well, I'll, you can find me at www.horrertourstudios.com. And that is also, that'll have all my social media, be it Horror Tour Studios and Demon Bitch something or whatever, but there'll be links to click on it so you can easily add it. I'm on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook Live Monday through Friday, with the exception of Wednesday recording lunch hour. As of is currently, I'm just taking a quick break because I need to decompress from all the stuff. Um, everything will be announced on my social media. I also will have appear on my website. I have appearances, so what's upcoming? So I will be at SDCC Home Edition, but until some things are confirmed, I can't let you know what stuff I'll be on. But I will know let, let people know later. I will be at LACC later on with Don, I'm always getting confused here, Don over here. uh, Don over here. And you know we're doing a panel. I'll probably be drawing a lot of dicks on that fucking panel. I don't know. I'll probably be drawing Demon Bitch and other worthless things there. So I'll be there in tabling um, with uh, The Comic Bug and Collector's Paradise. I think you will be, too, right, Don? Mm -hmm. So we're going to be there. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys there. And uh, my cat's fucking up my printer, as you're hearing that weird noise. and also, I probably... It, it looks like what's really weird is that now my next year is racking up with all cons, so I'm obviously going to San Diego Comic-Con next year and WonderCon, but it looks like I'll be in Idaho for Gem, Gem City Comic-Con. It'll be up on there. And I'll be at PowerhouseCon so far. So it's kind of nuts. Um, but yeah, you can find me. Uh, definitely have a store up, too. That's also on my HorrorTorrestStudios.com link. It's through Square. Um, the point of sale stuff and uh otherwise hit me up for anything like work to even just asking me questions about things or a conversation and i'm good however if you say hello hello how are you how are you i will probably block you or <laughs> nice yeah.
0: and Ryland, good morning how are you um i am at Ryland grant and all forums of uh, social media i'm uh, i'm uh, Yeah. Stumbling again. Uh, uh, It is uh, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just kind of drunkenly arrange letters and saddle me with it. And so now I have to spell it uh, for you. Um, I should probably decide if I'm going to any cons. Um, I I sort of have a toe in the water at LACC and at a San Diego Comic-Con. I don't know that I'm ready for a full-on tabling experience. I still have an unvaccinated five-year-old at home. So um, um I'm, I'm playing it safe. Um, but, you know, you might see me for a day or something. I might take a train into San Diego. I mean, doing it on Thanksgiving weekend was hard on, on folks like me. But um, the Ringo Award-winning Aberrant and the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax can be found at uh, your local comic shop and uh, via Comicsology and Amazon and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Um, my two Kickstarter books, the uh the jump, which I talked about a, a bit during the podcast in my Fargo S crime drama, the peacekeepers, can be found now via um Backer Kit. If you go to the jump 2backerkitcom that's the jump one word and the number two. Uh you will find uh that shot, the jump 2backerkitcom Um, you'll also find signed copies of Aberrant and Banjax and um rare con variants and all sorts of fun stuff. It's kind of a one-stop Rylan Grant shop. Um my latest and greatest Suicide Jackies, uh, my Tokusatsu joint, um, is available in comic shops now. Uh, issue three hits uh, stands um, next week, so go check it out. What do you got, Avaloni?
1: Nice. Uh, all of my stuff can be found at www. I said the www is because I'm 100 years old. Uh, David Avalone, freelance.com has all of the branching to the social medias and the websites and the etc. And And. Uh, Elvira Meets Vincent Price, number three, coming out in two weeks, week and a half. And com for your horror listening pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on the Writer's Block, and we will see you on the next exciting episode.
3: Thanks for listening. Thank you. If
0: you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of your crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block.
2: For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.